Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about all the different rumors that have been swirling about over the last couple of days. There's a lot of content in here. Trade down conversations have come about. People have been coining Chet Holmgren as the Thunders pick at number two, but also Jaden Ivey has also picked up some noise in terms of who could be on Oklahoma City's radar. So I'll be assessing All of the different rumors that we have seen, kind of what the viewpoint would be for any of them, and if I put stock into what we have heard. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out, though, guys, smokescreen season is upon us. It has been just over a week since the ping pong balls have been unveiled, and honestly, it took all of three days. Until we started hearing the thunder in some sort of circles in terms of rumors. They couldn't even get out of Chicago and people were talking about them. One thing you got to realize is a lot of times you'll have agents, you'll have people within organizations telling sources things just to throw people off. There's a reason that they're telling people stuff. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's some benefit, I guess you could say, to... Letting people know stuff, but there's always a reason. They're, they're kind of playing uh, the long game, and they know what they're doing in terms of all these drops. So that's why, you know, you've kind of heard kind of clashing opinions over this next week, and it's probably going to continue. You know, I think you look at one of the premier ones last year. It looked like Detroit was considering Jalen Green like two days in, until draft day, and honestly, up until draft day, you know, there was still that rumor and there was the idea of maybe trading back and not being so confident on, on Cade, whatever it was. That's basically just a smoke screen. And we're going to be hearing tons of them as we kind of pivot into June's draft date. And the first one came from Henry Abbott of truehoop.com. He had this article or this tweet, I guess, that really talked about the Sacramento Kings and how there were loose talks they were trying to move up from the number four pick in the draft lottery. And he said, among the things we don't know, who will make that pick? Possible scenario, the number two spot, the Kings take Chet Holmgren. Obviously, that means the Thunder would have to trade away down to four. The Rockets would take Paulo, and then OKC would take Jaden Ivey at four. So it's a trade down two spots to select Jaden Ivey. And that's where you get it. A lot of people spun this as the Thunder were interested in trading down in this class. I don't think that's what this means really at all. This this really is a tweet that just says, hey, the Kings are looking to move up from pick number four. And I don't really see that as like a, a rumor or like a smokescreen. I think that could have some something to it because who doesn't want to trade up in a draft? I'm sure... Guys that are top the board get calls from just about everybody. You listen to what happened last draft cycle. Woj talked about it. Like the Thunder, they had Mobley as one of the guys they would have considered at number one. You know, and he fell down at three at the Cavs. You better believe they made some crazy offers to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So people that are in the lottery and people that aren't positioned in the top three are going to want to get in there. So everyone's going to get a call. Even the Orlando Magic, I guarantee it, will be getting rung up. And I'm sure teams like Houston 
would even consider calling them to try to jump OKC and potentially get their guy. I don't think you put a lot of substance into this at all, though, because this is coming basically from the Kings' perspective. It laces the Thunder in as a hypothetical, but who says the Thunder want to trade down right now? I really have not heard any of that to this point, and I think when you break down kind of the situation in Sacramento, it makes sense why this rumor would come about, but on the other side of the spectrum, I just don't get it. And here's where I'm coming with this. You look at Sacramento right now. They just traded Tyrese Halliburton for an all-star in DeMontis Sabonis. You have De'Aaron Fox still. Davion Mitchell is hanging around. You want to get one of those key players with them. And GM Monte McNair, he's on a contract here, which basically means he needs to make a really good impression to the ownership group this season. The clock is running out. There were contract extension talks, but they never came into fruition. It's basically now or never. So he has to make these big plays. He already made one last year, trading Halliburton away for Sabonis. He caught a lot of flack for it. The question is now, what do you do? You know, Sabonis, he's not like egregiously old, right? Obviously, you look at um, him in comparison to what you would have in like Halliburton. There's a bit of an age difference, but he's still like mid-20s. I think he's 25, 26 years old right now. Yeah, he's 26. So he still has a couple years and you have Fox to build with as well. The best option for them probably comes with getting one of the forwards, Impala or Jabari. But, you know, they have to trade up to get there just because I don't really see a scenario at least right now, where one falls into their lap. I think it could happen because Jay Nivey has been stellar, and I think that he could be in consideration. However, right now, I sort of think they're in the outside looking in. Anyways, though, I think the Kings are looking to make a big play uh, with this fourth pick to try to really advance themselves as a team because they've kind of had, you know, all these tiny drops of going in that direction of trying to maybe get back in the play-in situation again. Getting a high pick would be ideal because you get someone building for the future, but with someone like Paulo or Jabari, I'm sure they'd get the whim column up kind of as well. So that'd be the home run, and I bet Sacramento would like to press it. I think, though, that they might have to look towards just trading that number four pick outright if they want to go all in. And I know this is something that Kings fans are not fond of. I know um, earlier this week, actually, I made a tweet about Presti, and it was his little analogy that he used of like a t-shirt in the early days of the Thunder, talking about how when the team was in its earliest form, they had an issue at the five spot, and, you know, they waited a little bit to get their center. The center became Kendrick Perkins, did a pretty good job in that spot. But when they were hanging around with guys like Nenad Kristich and Jeff Green, they felt as if there were players that they could have obtained at the center spot to patch things up. However, they wouldn't have done as solid of a job for as long as Perkins uh, provided. So that's why they waited. And he basically said, like, they're not trying to rush into things. They want to take players they believe will be able to fit into that large size shirt, if you will. Not taking smalls that will work now, but might not work in three, four years. Kings fans on Twitter love it. They were just adding Vivek and everyone in the management, which I thought was pretty awesome. But I don't know if they'll go that way. You know, they might 
actually look towards moving this pick around. And if they are, they want to get another home run guy like DeMontis Sabonis. I am sure of it. Does OKC have the ammunition to obtain that? Maybe. I think in all likelihood, probably not unless they're moving that number four pick. The best package that I can think of comes with Lou Dort and pick number 12. You're jumping eight spots and the Kings get a very good player in Lou Dort, but he's also on a contract year where he is expiring. So you are going to have to dish out some money his way. Came off of averaging 17.2 points this season. Look good as a two-way player. I think we can all agree on that. Does that push the bar enough? I don't think so. I think that if OKC is serious about that, they would probably need to add an additional first. I don't know if pick 30 does it. I think the Kings would likely have better offers for an outright player though. And it's tough to say because I think from the Thunder perspective and maybe from a fan's perspective, it's a little bit jaded during draft season because you look at this jump and you kind of forget that Lou Dort has been such a good player. You start believing, you know, Lou Dort might not be a championship guy, like he's replaceable. You have to know what you have in Lou Dort right now, and I get they're not in playoff contention yet, but remember what happened in the first round of playoffs. He almost saved the Thunder, pushed them to the second round, just because his defensive ability, and then he popped off in game number seven. This is the type of player that you could play in the playoffs. He's shown that he is pretty skilled on both sides of the ball. He needs to work on his catch and shoot, but he has drastically improved there. Presti has been so locked in on getting a player of Lou Dort's caliber for like 10 years. You look at the history of this Thunder team, who are the guards that they are bringing in? They're all these guys that have the defensive ability with offensive upside. And I say offensive upside a little bit loosely. They got guys like Andre Roberson, being a first-round pick. Josh Hustis was a first-round pick. Terrence Ferguson was a first-round pick. I'll say Ferguson, he's a bit more of a a home-run swing. I think with Hustis and Roberson, you knew they were defensively capable, but offensively, they were lacking. Ferguson, you saw the length, you saw the athletic ability, but it, basically, he couldn't really perform. He was a little bit too passive, I'd say, on both sides of the ball, but they still had to play them because Presti was so hell hellbent, really, on just picking these types of players. Just that archetype, that defensive-oriented two. And it wasn't able to work because the offense never really popped up enough. Tabo Cephalosha, I'd say, was their best swing at it when they were making finals runs. But they never had that like elite type of player. And Lou Dort is not like elite, I I would say. However, in his role, I, I do believe so. He's a guy who will provide defensively. He gives you the hustle and energy that you want. And on the offensive front, he's not only shown he's done well from three, but he's also been good at penetrating. So he's very useful. The question becomes, do you want to try to swing for the fences? Do you think you can get a better player than Lou Dort? You've seen a lot of guys just pop off in this playoffs I'll say the Warriors as an example it's kind of a cheat code right but look at Jordan Poole sort of you know playing the two really good ball handler able to create space practically anywhere and that's kind of become the name of the game Jaden Ivey could be that at number four but you have to look at the Presti side of things and think you know, is that worth it to jump 12 to 4? Is there someone at 12 that we believe 
will provide a good amount of value. I think Jaden Ivey and whoever you find at four could be definitely a star, but it is a big leap to take. And I don't even know if the Kings take the move of four, uh, four for Dort and 12, but that almost could be a little bit too much to handle. So you have to make a tight decision here on if you'd want to place an offer like that. Dort is going to get more money in his bag. If you trade 12 and Dort, you're going to pick up a rookie scale contract for the next four years. That is pretty big financially for Oklahoma City, but you have to make that kind of decision on if you believe Lou Dort would be expendable or not. Very good player though, and for Sacramento, I'm sure they'd be getting tons of different offers with pretty solid players. I think the Detroit Pistons have been one floating around because they have Jeremy Grant on roster. So that's kind of my say on it in terms of the Thunder and why they wouldn't make that move down. You just got to understand, guys, like they have been waiting two years to get in this position. Last season, it looked like they would have a slam dunk, could have picks one through five. Tyler Carroll's uh, machine was spitting out like numbers like crazy that OKC would have a top pick at number five. Everyone was just foaming at the mouth for lottery night and they got pick six and that was it. OKC understands how unlikely it is to fall in the top four especially at pick number two the dynamics are entirely different from two to four but just as easily they could be pick number six right now and you'd be evaluating Shane and Sharp like it was nobody's business this is monumental that they landed here this is the highest they've ever fallen as the Oklahoma City Thunder to trade down would be pretty damn big and they would need a gigantic stash to consider it at least in my eyes I don't think it's tradable right now but if the Kings trade four and the 2023 first there's no way you can leave that bad boy unprotected and one thing about it is the deal would have to be done post-draft because the Stefan rule you can't trade back-to-back first you have to select at four and then after the fourth pick that's when you officially put to pen and paper this trade It has to be unprotected to even consider it because who cares outside of Victor and outside of Scoot Henderson right now? Maybe someone emerges, but if it's top four protected, that's not going to work. And the Kings already have a pretty damn solid team right now. This isn't a pick, barring a miracle, that should fall number one next year. So I just don't see much value in it myself. I think you go with your gut instinct, take who you want out of the top three and roll with it because all three of these prospects in the top three are going to be very talented in an OKC Thunder jersey. I want to talk a little bit more about what we have heard in particular with Chet Holmgren and the potential he goes to OKC at two and then also the speculation surrounding Purdue guard Jaden Ivey. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, 
you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Continuing on this path of the rumor mill though, guys, we've discussed this King situation. If it happens, it would be crazy, at least the way I view things. And with 30 days, give or take, around, there's no way they make a move until the last second. So you got plenty of time to sit on that type of rumor. Another one that we're not going to figure out until draft night and more specifically when the Orlando Magic go to the podium is who will be available at pick number two for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Earlier this week, we got some pretty big scoops from some of the attendees at the NBA Draft Combine, and there were many. Raphael Barlow with the NBA Big Board did a great story on kind of guys that have like been rising on boards, but I want to hone in on what we heard from Jonathan Javoni, and he had some scoops on what he's heard on the first pick that's obviously held by the Orlando Magic, and I'll just read it verbatim. Here's what it says. While Magic executives have made it clear they will conduct a thorough process, even extending beyond the widely believed top three prospects in Smith, Holmgren, and Paulo Banchero, most NBA teams firmly believe that's a formality and that Smith is all but assured to become the top pick. Smith, for his part, appears thrilled with that development. So is Holmgren over his looming marriage with the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is also the overwhelming expectation from NBA executives with whom we spoke at the draft combine. Big takeaway is that Smith seems like the guy for the magic, and that leaves Chet Holmgren at the board for the Thunder. Seems like two easy transactions, and you keep it moving. Now, base level, I trust Javoni. I think that he is one of the better um, analysts when it comes to draft season. He's most reputable, for sure. But scouts and executives, they don't always know what's going on. Sometimes they're throwing you fake bones. And I was listening to the NBA Combine, like, last week. Final day, I think it was Friday that we had this interview here. But they had Orlando Magic GM John Hammond on the microphone. And he was talking about how he is going to evaluate utilizing the number one pick in this draft. And I have the full interview up on my Twitter, so make sure to check that out. But I'll just read once again what he said on this. He said, my gosh, you start talking about the best player on the board. You can't. Look, you don't say this is a need. We have to take a guard, a wing, or we have to take a big. We say, who's going to be the best player? Who do we think can be the best player? Maybe not so much initially. You'd love to have the rookie of the year. That'd be great. But most importantly, who's going to be the best player two, three, five, seven years from now? That's what you're looking at because these guys are coming in so, so young. 
you want a guy you can build with. We might have the number one pick in the draft and still may have to go with some patience with this guy. To me, I don't really think that screams Jabari Smith, guys. I think that screams Chet Holmgren. And it's just another one of those things where it's like, we don't know until we know. It's just chit-chat all over the place. This talks like Holmgren to me, though, because you're talking potential. Five, seven years down the line. Holmgren's seven feet tall, 195 pounds. It's going to take some time with him. And if he's talking he doesn't care about position, you could very well see Holmgren number one in terms of true talent. So, you know, you hear one thing and then you hear another thing. Just over and over again. So I think the John Hammond interview might be the most important thing that you hear from today's episode. But let's say that Jabari does happen to be the guy for OKC. You have Holmgren on the board and you also have Paulo. Paulo, damn good player. I think just like him, Jabari, Chet, and maybe even Jaden, there's a case why they would be the best player in terms of true talent on this board. And honestly, for the Magic, I could see a world where they consider Paulo as the number one guy. It's not a clean-cut 50-50 with Jabari and Chet. I think it's more 40-40-20 because there's always the chance right now. And I'm going to steal this one. I know Derek Parker said this on Twitter earlier today but he kind of said it's like picking a starter Pokemon between those three because they do have completely different paths but they all should be pretty good for the Orlando Magic and then for the Thunder you get two potential starting Pokemon it goes to Houston they get the last one all three of them should be pretty happy and they're different players but they should all develop to be pretty effective so I really like that usage of like um, that comparison, you know what I mean? Just made it really easy to understand. And I dig it because it makes sense with Pokemon. You know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, it's really any direction for all three of these teams. If it's between Chet or Paulo, you still have a decision to make because Paulo, really good player. I think everyone said that's the rookie of the year favorite we think he's gonna be the best immediately well then why are you immediately pushing him to number three if you think he's the most skilled and some of these front offices think they're the most skilled they might as well take him they might not be like oh well he's the best player now like yeah that's definitely something that could get brought up but someone could be sold on him and that's the one kicker. He's someone who needs to work on his three ball, but in terms of playmaking, in terms of scoring around the basket, it's very hard to find a prospect like him. And I think he's the only one in this draft class I feel very confident about in terms of his isolation ability at the three or four spot currently. Moving on though, with Chet, I mean, this is a basically a perfect fit. And that's the reason Javoni was talking about it. That's why everybody's talking about it. You break down Holmgren averaged a tick over 14 points per game, 9.9 boards, and 2.7 blocks, or excuse me, 3.7 blocks for Gonzaga this season. Seven feet tall, seven six wingspan. He's completely different from some of the other centers we've seen, and I'll do more deep dives, but he's not this Moses Brown, Tony Bradley, Stephen Adams, and his canter type where they're good in terms of playing back to the basket, but on the defensive front, 
they don't give you much in terms of pick and roll defense. That's something that I think has become a necessity in this day and age. Like new era basketball, you're setting screen after screen. We're talking high ball screen. If your center can pop or roll, it's deadly. But if you have a shot creating point guard, it's dangerous. If you have a center that is really flat footed and not able to at least hedge a little bit. Chet Holmgren is the guy that OKC has been longing for. He patches up the hole that just has not been filled. And I think he's able to hard hedge. He's able to switch sometimes. If need be, he can drop. But he's one of those players that is able to stick out there for the perimeter in stints. But let's say he overcommits a little bit on the guard. If the guard's looking to launch a pass over him, number one, it's pretty hard to with his hands outstretched. He's a long guy. But his strides and his overall agility allow him to get back in on these plays and either contest or straight up block these shots. Should be a very good shot contest around the basket. And OKC would love to have a rim protector on their side right now. Offensively, you look at his player profile. He does have a lot of lucrative qualities. I think the biggest one in terms of fit for the Thunder is that he's going to be deadly playing with SGA or Josh Giddy or Trey Mann in terms of orchestrating these pick and rolls or pick and pops. OKC has had two types of players. They've had the role men, which is Moses, Derek Favors, I think Tony Bradley as well, where they'll set a screen up top, maybe at the free throw line, but basically they have to roll to be a threat. They can't pop because if they do, if I'm a defender, I don't care. I'll let Moses Brown shoot the three-point shot, 20-footer, whatever it is. That's a good defensive possession if I'm the head coach. But you've also had the other players such as maybe Isaiah Roby or Mike Muscala where their bread and butter is just popping. With Muscala, he is dangerous working around the basket. I'd say Roby is a, a bit scarier in terms of his ability to play, you know, putting the ball on the deck. But neither of them have been like, you know, insanely diverse in their play and they're kind of just set to the specific roles off of the screens with Chet there's really not any limitations on him right now because he can set you that high ball screen pop to the three he's pretty good off the catch shot 39% with Gonzaga but also he can set a screen slip to the basket believe it or not sometimes people completely forgot about him during these plays and he was a prime target for alley-oops or just kicks inside, entry pass, easy layup, and at times, he'd kick it out, make that dump off, kick it to the corner, and get a very high-quality look off of his passes. Very underrated as a passer as well when he's driving downhill, um, but the big quality is that three ball, and also the way he can play off of DHOs. He's, he's pretty nimble, so he can get you... Uh, in terms of his off-ball movement, and he can create those open shots. Now, in terms of putting the ball on the deck, creating space himself, he might not be the best in terms of an isolation setting, but downhill, I really like him. He's great at finding the angle in terms of maybe like spin moves on the move when he's about to gather. That's one of his bread bread and butters, and then even just attacking the basket, he's able to absorb contact really well. So, In the system with SGA and Giddy, he works because they need to have, at some point, some center who can stretch the floor. 
he does that, but he does even more for them, which is big time. And even in situations where he gets a rebound, defensive rebound, he can go coast to coast with it. He can pop it from the top of the key if someone's not playing up on him. If the center wants to play up, he's going to try to blow right by him, use those long strides to get the angle, and ultimately attack the basket. So that's why you view him sort of as that perfect piece. We've seen on Twitter, Josh Giddy seems to be a big fan. Chet Holmgren, I believe, would be a big fan as well. But this is where you get the whole fit idea. And it's pretty obvious that he's a, a really good guy you'd want to put in with OKC. You have to kind of think, if you're Presty, is he the best player, number one? But also, if I'm looking to make a championship team, what do I want to do? Do I want to try to replicate what we did back in 2010, 11, and really when they were the Sonics, when they drafted KD, where you prioritize the one through three positions and then four and five uh, become a mixture of like home run hits in the draft or guys you trade for? Or do you want to make it, let's solidify this center position now and try to find another forward because they definitely need another forward, guys. You look at the roster, you have basically the backcourt filled out, but you have to push Dort up to the three right now. The four is Poku and Bays. Honestly, that's in the air. I don't think they have that position locked down. And the center spot, clear as day, has not been locked either. So you have three through five to worry about. And I think once you make that initial swing, the direction should be a little bit more obvious. They got two different paths though. And I think Jabari and Paulo are essentially the same one because they are the same position. Two different types of players though. So I guess you can make the case that they do differ. But you have that two pack of two I guess you could say for prioritizing the forwards and the guards or you could go push the chips in take a different direction and get a guy in Chet who's very polarizing but man he could be very very lethal for you moving forward and going on in the future I'd imagine he'd only continue to strengthen up as a player that's where we're at right now in terms of what you've heard spinning around Paulo once again like I mentioned has also been one of the names so it might just be best to look towards what we could know who's going to be available at 12 most likely who could be there in the second round and go after some of those prospects because it's going to be a revolving door in terms of who Sam Presti cares about until the final second just like it is with the magic pick and all the picks that are going to precede the one that the Thunder have at selection number two. The fun doesn't stop here, though, guys. We got one more prospect who's been kicked around, and it's Jaden Ivey. This is the prospect who was targeted in the mock trade I presented earlier, where OKC slides from two to four. If you are at pick number four, the consensus is that Jaden Ivey would be the guy. Shaden Sharp might be in contention. We've heard reports that some teams and some scouts wouldn't take him top 10 because he hasn't played in the NBA. Personally, I think that is a way to kind of divert some attention. I think I would be pretty high on Sharp, even if he hasn't played, just because of that potential. If the shot was a bit better, I'd be 100% sold on it. My only woe is sort of the way that he plays in terms of the actual jump shot. 
because it's not fast, and I do think it, it could be a bit clunky if he doesn't work on the dribbling a little bit more. But right now, base level, I really do like the palette that he would present to a team. Jaden Ivey, that's the guy we're talking about right now, though. And for Oklahoma City, Jaden Ivey kind of brings you that high flyer again. Russell Westbrook, he was the man on the highlight reel for most of the Thunder's history. Hamadou Diallo with his Superman dunk over Shaquille O'Neal. And then we haven't really seen that type of player in a couple of seasons. Jaden Ivey would most definitely bring this back to the team. And he would bring a lot more. He's not just this one-trick pony. Very dynamic as a prospect. And as I've talked about on this pod, very productive with the Purdue Boilermakers. Averaged over 17 points. Had 5 rebounds and 3 assists per game as a sophomore. Took a significant jump from his freshman to sophomore campaign. And when you look at him, absolute firecracker. Basically, a lot of people view him for his leaping ability. He can rise up. He can poster anybody. And when he has a full head of steam, I truly believe that. That he can dunk on just about anyone. Great in terms of verticality. He's only 6'4", 200 pounds. But you'd never know it off of those slashes. He can also take contact around the basket, though. And in terms of midair adjustments, it's between really him or Sharp in terms of who's the best in this draft class. But he's one of the better ones in the league because he can go up and under midair. He can look like he's going for a dunk midway, just pause through it, kind of just keep his position midair, and then, you know, flick it up and in off the backboard. Very, very talented as a finisher. But. One of the reasons I really like him as a prospect as he's not just this guy who can go point A to point B and dunk it. He'll create those opportunities for himself. One of the best dribbling packages we have in the draft class right now. He's able to go with those like hesitations between the leg moves while moving. And he does it like, um, like a left to right between the legs move. And then he's going to slash to his right side like it's just beautiful some of the stuff he has in his bag and for a defender you know he's very difficult to guard because acceleration wise really really solid can change the direction in a split second and he already has those moves but he's not just attacking you every time from you know the interior he's looking to create pull-up jump shots and even sometimes step back and hit some threes shot 36 percent this year from downtown came from a variety of you know catch and shoot shots on the dribble shots shot 26% as a freshman so that's one of the big breakthroughs that he has had but if he maintains that percentage I do like the jump shot he can be very very serious and on the defensive front as well you look at him solid he's able to get up there get your rebounds rank third on Purdue's team behind Zach Eady who is 7-4 Almost could clock him in at 7-5. And Travion Williams, who's supposed to be drafted maybe late second round in this draft class. Pretty big dude. I'd compare his build to like Caleb Swanigan or something like that. So he had to get up there and he had to work for those rebounds. But also he had to work for some blocks. Uses his leaping ability amazing. Great in terms of timing, shot contests. He can go up there get you some chase down blocks as well, and he's very aggressive as an on-ball defender. He slides in as a combo guard. I think he can play point guard or shooting guard. OKC has a lot of them, though. You have SGA. You have Giddy, maybe, even. Trey Mann, Lou Dort, Aaron Wiggins, 
Kenrich Williams. How do you get the minutes to fit in 96 minutes? And let's even expand it a little bit because I do think you can side Kenrich up. You can side Wiggins up, Dort up to this small forward. You can't give ID suitable minutes on this Thunder roster though. And if you do, you're going to slight somebody pretty damn bad because... I think you already have four players that have really established themselves in the rotation. That's SGA, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, and Trey Mann. Dort is likely the one to get slashed, whether it's through a trade to get to number four, because in all likelihood, I think you would have to trade up to get Ivy. I don't think you'd take him at number two. Dort might be the one getting shorted, whether it's being traded, relegated to the bench, but it'd be SGA... Ivy and Josh Giddy. Ivy likes the ball in his hands. I don't think he's one of those players where he lives and dies by self-creation, though. SGA, amazing in terms of, you know, getting the screen, dribble drive, and seeing if anybody's open. He has taken some contested shots over the years, but when he's looking to pass, he does a hell of a good job at it. Spot Ivy up in the wing, the corner. He'd be a great person to kick it out to from distance. If he sees a cavity in the lane, he will abuse the crap out of it. And he's one of those guys that's able to get you to the foul line and he's able to reap some rewards from that as well. So he's a cannon who can drop you 20 plus a game. That's something that you want as a franchise. And at pick number four, that's very good value if that's kind of where you want to go. I still think the top three, at least for the Thunder, should be Chet, Jabari, and Paolo. Jane's really good. Shaden's really good. Dyson Daniels is really good. But in terms of skill, I think in true talent, it could be different, of course. But in terms of fit and skill, when you combine the two, they don't really work right now if you really are bought into what SGA and Josh Giddy can present you long term. So that's just my take on these guys. I know we talked about some draft picks, talked about Lou, and then obviously the two prospects here. If you guys have any other prospects you would like me to discuss, I'll likely be talking about them in the next three, four weeks. I've been working on a scouting report, like an actual video report for the last two days. And let me tell you guys, it's very, very hard. I have a lot of respect for people that are doing these scouting evaluations because it's one thing to watch some game film and type about it. It's another to keep in the back pocket every possession you want put them into an editing software that, quite frankly, is not good, use an internet that's not that good, and get it all together and pop out a 12-minute um, game film with commentary over it. About four minutes into it right now. We'll see when it gets done. Should keep you all posted on that. It's on a player that's not on many people's radars, and that's what I want to do here. I want to discuss potential G League gyms or guys that could climb into a two-way contract and potentially make an impact. Not so much the... Uh, far and away first round picks that we'll find in this draft class but other than that though guys that is going to do it for today's episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya